3.3%. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and Mike Rouse is your guest presenter. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the performance of the art market in Hong Kong, the wider region and worldwide. A survey of high net worth collectors conducted by the global investment bank at UBS and the art fair organiser Art Basel of 11 markets, including Hong Kong and mainland China, revealed that uh, cross-border imports of art and antiques reached their highest ever level of uh, $30.7 US dollars last year. Hong Kong did notably well in the first quarter of this year with imports up 50% and strong export growth. In terms of collector spending, the trend was particularly strong in mainland China and Taiwan. Most investors expressed optimism about the market outlook. What do these figures tell us about the regional art scene? How are local galleries performing? And have collectors' habits changed? We'll ask the experts. After 9.45, we'll talk to the NGO World Vision Hong Kong about a 30-hour fast to raise funds and awareness about malnutrition and child poverty, particularly in Africa. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88-266-233-88-266. Uh, joining us now on the line, we have uh, Enid Choi, who's arts editor of the South China Morning Post. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good to be back. And also with us is Willem Molesworth, who is a co-founder of the uh, PhD Art, sorry, PhD Group Art Gallery. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, perhaps we can start with uh, you, uh, Enid. Uh, um, it all sounds uh, quite encouraging from uh, this report by UBS and Art Basel. What, what's your sort of uh, estimation of the art market here well, at the moment? Well, um, uh, it's a very interesting report. Um, we should also bear in mind that this is um, a survey of a very small group of people. Um, it's it only surveyed high net work, uh, sorry, high high net worth collectors. Yeah. Basically, the wealthiest of the wealthiest uh, people um, uh, around the world who collect art, which is a very very small group of people. And um, in general, um, the report seems to put the positive news um, ahead of the um, less positive news. And um, so the, I think it's important for listeners to be aware of the perhaps the wider context mm -hmm. of the art market. I mean, art collecting, especially at the high end, has always been quite resilient to economic uh, downturns because we're talking about people who are generally very wealthy. But in today's world, with so much uncertainty, the art market this year, 2023, in the first half, is significantly down from last year. Mm. And um, so we have had some um, negative signals, for example, in Hong Kong, for example, in October. Um, so Sotheby's, um, one of the big, big auction houses um, that always has its autumn auctions, 
the Asia Autumn Auctions ahead of its um, main rival Christie's. Christie's going to have theirs later this month. So they have a couple yeah. of interesting, much-watched um, sales. Mm -hmm. um, there is the Contemporary Evening Auctions. Um, and um, 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 a contemporary modern art evening auction, sorry. And that saw quite a significant drop from uh, the previous year's uh, total, um, I think around 40% drop. Mm. And also there was a sale um, by the Long Museum in Shanghai, um, um, owned by the uh, billionaire couple uh, Liu Yitian and Wang Wei. Um, so they were selling, and the fact that they were selling uh, sent quite a um, uh, um, well, 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 was was quite a stunning message to the art market because. Um, sorry, let me turn that off. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Because um, uh, for a major collector to sell quite a lot of, um, of art would suggest that um, they don't, well, they're not very bullish about the future. Right. Um, and that sale, that sale um, had uh, 39 lots, 39 um, paintings, 10 were unsold. Um, and also prices were generally um, lower than um, expected. Mm -hmm. So wow. that's the general context. And also as the market, sorry, as, as the um, Art Basel UBS report pointed out, um, art auctions around the world in the first half of this year saw the total decline 16% compared to the first half of 2022. So the mood isn't that great at the moment, mm. but like I said, the the wealthiest of the wealthy they tend to um have a lot of cash in the bank so they are <laughs> less affected yeah. by economic downturns Enid, can i ask what in this context what do we mean by art is it just paintings or what else is included i think for this particular survey um it focuses on i mean the art market is extremely secretive it's very hard to get data. Um, so this survey, I think, um, relies on just about the only public data that we can get our hands on, and that's auctions. Right. So in auctions, um, you have paintings, you have sculptures, um, you can have also in, 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 no, in increasingly in recent years, digital art. Um, I think this survey probably also takes into account um, and um, though the focus is not so much on antiques, it does, it does take into account sales of, say, you know, Chinese antiques, which is a big, big segment in the Hong Kong sales. Right. Mm. Oh. That's old bits of mm. uh, pottery uh, or furniture or what? Yeah, but um, I think this survey focuses more on um, the uh, um, modern and contemporary, mm. um, for, for Asia anyway, mm. um, uh, yeah. um, segments. It, it, did, it did find that uh, uh, paintings were the, uh, were the most popular. But uh, um, anyway, let, let's bring in uh, Willem Molesworth. Uh, uh, good morning. You're uh, co-founder of the PhD group uh, Art gallery um that's on uh, um hennessy road is that right in in wan chai yeah that's right uh we're in um 
the the kind of great old neighborhood in Long Enkyu, right. which is right between Causeway Bay and and Wan Chai. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, so you kind of concentrate on uh, emerging and uh, and mid career artists uh, from the region. Um, how is the uh, art market from your perspective? Um, yeah, I think I think Enid actually said it all pretty well right now. Um, the one kind of distinction I think I would I would want to make is that um, the report is is really relying on information that was gathered. I think in the the second quarter of the year, kind of halfway through, mm-hmm. and it's only been in the fall, kind of after the summer, where these kind of new market realities have really started to make their their presence known. Yeah. Um, for example, Art, Art Basel Hong Kong earlier this year in March was actually an incredible time. Um, it was a wonderful period for the art market where we had all this returning interest from mainland China coming. The collectors were enthusiastic and they were spending – and that's an attitude that we've seen really abruptly shift over the last few months, and and things have become more conservative. And she's mentioned the auction um, mm-hmm. results at Sotheby's, which were very difficult for a lot of uh, people to accept and even see. But there's also silver linings to everything. Um, I think uh, it's a general kind of reset that's happening, and that's all for the best. Mm-hmm. What's the reason for that uh, shift in sentiment? Do you know? I think – general global uncertainties um mm-hmm. you know art is in many ways a kind of like a, a big picture geopolitical game for a lot of the the kind of um, ultra wealthy collectors who are engaged in it um they think about the history of art and they think about things like american abstract expressionism and how that's been very closely tied to america's growth so an investment within an artwork from that period is uh, uh, a significant investment in almost like American culture, and then there's really tangible monetary benefits to that. And so when people see a global narrative start to shift or start to change, that kind of introduces a, a certain degree of uncertainty that, that kind of um, – I think can, can, can make people think twice about spending basically. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's just I think part of the reality of the game. You know? is, is art – a, a good way of moving wealth maybe that's not so easily to detect um well i i i i guess that might be how some people think um i think art generally is an interesting kind of investment and, and what i liked or what i found really interesting in the report is some of the more kind of basic information about how um certain high or i think there was an interesting range of high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals and the kind of percentages um, uh, that art comprised within their portfolios. And the wealthier they became, the more it comprised, um, I think up to 25% uh, in some cases. Mm. And I think that's that's really interesting to think about um, how art is is being very seriously used to kind of diversify portfolios. Um, mm. it's, it's not something I think one think uh, most people would think about on a, on a day to day basis. Right. You think you think property aspect. or you think shares and, and more obvious wealth things. But hey, uh, yeah. I've got three Picassos in the in the cupboard. You know, that's. Maybe I'm sure you do, Mike. <laughs> yeah, in, in, yeah, in the vault, in the vault, in the bank. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 do we do enough about the, education? Sorry. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, can I just point out also? I mean, Willem, you, you, yeah, made such great points, and um, and that it is, and 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 also that you pointed out that um, there are these really interesting um, uh, um, uh, what well, details um, in this very thorough um, um, analysis um, and uh, 
uh, there are bits that um, I enjoy reading, such as um, differences between um, collectors, high net worth collectors' habits um, between regions. So, for example, um, in Hong Kong, Germany, and France, uh, collectors are really into new and emerging new and emerging artists. I mean, like Williams pointed out, it, that trend may have shifted. People may have become more cautious in the last few months. But I think traditionally, Hong Kong collectors tend to be quite open-minded towards um, less established artists. Um, and um, also the um, uh, female artist works are also um, uh, also tend to feature quite heavily um, in Hong Kong collections compared to other regions, and um, and and also Hong Kong collectors compared to other regions tend to have a more international approach with foreign artists making up the majority of um, of what they collect. Hmm. Um, yeah, um, Enid, I'd like to ask you as well. You, I mean, you mentioned that this survey is among uh, high net worth individuals and uh, uh, ultra high net worth uh, individuals. So, so it's a, a small number of um, really wealthy people. Uh, uh, you should have at least uh, a million US dollars. Uh, that's excluding exactly. real estate yep. and private business assets, uh, I believe. Um, but um, to, to those um, individuals, I mean, do you know um, how many of them would buy a piece of art uh, as an investment or, or how many of them would buy, buy it for their appreciation because they want it? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't have the exact figures on hand, but I mean, there's no doubt that more and more people are buying art. Mm. Absolutely no doubt about that. And also, um, the reason why you know, the big auction houses and also galleries are continuing to expand in Asia, including Hong Kong, um, is because they see uh, a much younger crowd of collectors mm. in Asia generally. Mm. Um, especially in China. And um, so, you know, in, if, if you think about the, uh, the, the, the established, the big established markets in New York, London, then you kind of think of an older, you know, fam, fam, family, uh, families that have a tradition of collecting and so on. And, um, and of course, they are still extremely important to the art market. But mm. um, there's this vibrancy i suppose and excitement about what's going on here and people why you know why people are looking at art um that's um that's um that that's that's i think painting uh quite a bright picture in the region despite these ups and downs right. in um in the level of spending i mean i'm um I'm, i have to apologize for the background noise that you may hear um, because I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to, to the airport um, huh. to go to Shanghai for their big art week. Okay. And um, so this week is going to be completely mad. Um, mm. There are hundreds and hundreds of exhibition openings, events. There's a Biennale. There are two big art, contemporary art, art fairs. And, um, you know, this is part of Shanghai's efforts to, as we've seen already this week with John Lee going to the export, import, export fair there. Yep. Mm. Um, it's 
Shanghai saying we we are open for business again,、mm-hmm. and、um, art is very much part of it. Right, Enid, I'm getting the message here that it's the art market generally is, is much much wider than these high net worth individuals. Is what is what、oh, people、absolutely. seem to be saying. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, what we saw in Hong Kong during the pandemic was amazing.、Um, And、um, I mean, I'm sure William, you would agree with me that、um, people were flocking to to exhibitions. I mean, the、uh, local fairs, the the art fairs, when nobody could enter Hong Kong,、um, they did quite well.、Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Um, that was um, that was um, 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 quite quite amazing. Yeah. And of course, you know, with with M Plus. Um, having opened in 2021 with Dai Guan and Chad and all the、uh, non-profit institutions continuing to、um, uh, bring us great exhibitions. That's that's. I mean,、um, Mike. Sorry, you mentioned education earlier. That's I, I, I guess、did. part of the education. I wanted to this, throw this to both of you because on the front page of the Financial Times today, London University. Is、uh, advertising and a course and higher diploma on Asian art.、Um, so, why is it the School of、uh, Oriental and Asian Studies in London、mm. doing this?、Uh, it's Asian art. What do we do、mm. to educate well, people? Yeah. Well, well, well I- it's a very popular course. It's a very、yeah. well-established and popular course、yeah. with Asians.、Mm. <laughs> um, I know, I know quite a few people who have done it.、Um, uh, I would have. I think I would like to do it too if I had the time and money. <laughs> and,、mm. um, I mean, as, as some of you may know, I, I went back to school a couple of years ago、um, to do a,、um, a master's in, in art history at Hong Kong U, and that was one of the best things, best decisions I've ever made in my life.、Mm. Um, uh, it's, but it was I was the first intake. I was it was the I did it、um, in I I I went in 2019. That was the first year. When Hong Kong U launched this master, it was the first. It is still the only、uh, one-year full-time taught masters in art history in the whole of Hong Kong,、mm. um, and、um, and and it's something that、um, I think it's I think I think courses like. These will only be、um, more and more popular.、Mm. Willem, do many people、uh, come into the business through the academic route?、Uh, yeah, quite a number.、Um, I think uh, typically uh, among gallerists, perhaps it's less common.、Um, I actually almost studied at SOAS, funny enough,、mm. um, and、uh, chose not to,、um, as I was already working, and basically was convinced by my boss at the time, another gallerist. Um, that it wasn't worth it, <laughs> and、uh, I think you know sometimes I regret that decision. But typically,、uh, gallerists are, are not the most ac- academic kind of bunch.、Um, however, there are a number of, of curators、um, working in Hong Kong、uh, who are、um, really heavily educated at from institutions all over the world. And、um, what's been remarkable is that Hong Kong does have this has developed within the last ten years. Um, a really incredible dynamic scene for them to to work and to educate others amongst,、mm-hmm. um, with institutions like M Plus, Daigun, Asia Art Archive, Parasite. There's there's a, a there's a ton of ways, and these are all kind of nonprofit endeavors for people、mm-hmm. to to genuinely and authentically engage and educate themselves.、Mm-hmm. Um, 
about Asian art, and and that's that's really incredible here. Yeah, uh, even if gal- it's not the kind of taught program at a, at a university. Right. Are the gallerists really traders, or they do it because they appreciate the art? Oh. I think they do appreciate the art. I think gallerists um, in many – well, you know, each case is different. I'm sure there are some gallerists out there who maybe are just, just traders and just in it for the money. But um, I really think art is one of these things that uh, uh, it's difficult to stay in if you're in it just for the money um, because there's, there's, uh, there's something really special to, to working within the industry that really provides a lot of um, food for thought and a lot of kind of – spiritual rewards and it's not always monetary um, particularly when you're a gallerist working with like myself working with young and emerging artists um, it's not the most profitable endeavor in the beginning um, it can be difficult to kind of uh, keep going but it's so extremely rewarding um, to, to bring a new artist onto the stage and to have their kind of artwork be seen by by a lot of people and then become recognized that's a uh, that's a very special process. Yeah. And of course, um, uh, can I turn things around yeah. and ask Mike a question? Oh, okay. <laughs> you may. <laughs> um, when you set up Invest Hong Kong, um, yeah. well, a few years ago, 2000, did you think that Hong Kong was going to become such a big art market? Short answer no. Um, we identified the areas where we thought Hong Kong was already strong um, and, uh, and basically that was financial services, trading, logistics and things like that. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we were opening our doors to the best companies in the world and make sure they knew about the opportunities in Hong Kong. But I must admit, I don't recall a single person raising the subject of art back in uh, 2000. Mm-hmm through to 2008 when I was still director general. So, wow. So, so, so th- things have changed quite a lot then because obviously, uh, you know, the government's very keen to promote uh, Hong Kong, uh, to promote the art market, to promote it as, a, as, a, as an exchange between uh, East and West uh, artistically and uh, culturally. Um, are you, um, uh, well, either of you, uh, are you sort of uh, optimistic about, uh, about Hong Kong's future as an art centre in what do you think, uh, Will- Willem? Willem Molesworth? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm, ex- I'm, I am optimistic about Hong Kong's role. Um, I see part of part of what was incredible about the reopening um, that happened earlier this year and our balls with all the collectors flocking back from the mainland was um, a real acknowledgement for for the first time uh, ever um, from them that that Hong Kong really is actually a very very important um, city for art. Um, in the past, obviously, I think it was very well acknowledged as being a, a platform for trading, um, for the for doing business here um, around art, right? Um, but not the actual kind of exhibition of it, not the kind of emotional side of things that can launch artists' careers or really contribute to the wider international scene. And uh, that's that's changed now. People really have a lot of respect for the city. Um, and I think that's only going to continue to grow as we continue to open up and as more people, international visitors, continue to flock back. And so, yeah, that's that's really incredible. There, even even amongst the kind of difficulties right now, there's a lot of silver linings, too. Um, some of the younger generations in this study reported collecting um, different kinds of mediums other than paintings and other things. And I think that's an interesting shift to watch. And we'll see a real kind of interesting growth in even more unexpected ways, yeah. Mm. Uh, um, what, what do you think, Enid? I know you, you said you're, you're off to Shanghai, which is uh, sort of pushing itself well, forward. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, of course, Hong Kong has new challenges. There is now censorship. And so this was used to be a major advantage of Hong Kong. We had no censorship when so many other places in Asia did. So, well, but we're still, but the other big advantage is still here. Um, There is no tax on the buying and selling of art. Mm. And and then we've got these new advantages that Willem has mentioned, Um, the arrival of institutions, the coming in of great curators from all over the world, including or perhaps especially from mainland China. And, um, and it's, it's, I mean, the art ecosystem in Hong Kong is not even, it's not just getting bigger and um, more sophisticated. It is also an important um, part of Hong Kong that is truly cosmopolitan and diverse and extremely interesting and saying important things. And um, the fact that during the pandemic, when Hong Kong was, well, um, became a a bit of a hermit, um, the fact that there are many regional art fairs that have popped up elsewhere. Um, So one of the biggest ones is, of course, Freeze uh, in Seoul. and uh, there are new fairs in Japan, in Taiwan, in Singapore, and um, and so on. And Shanghai now making a big push. Um, it will be, um, I think, um, naive to think that Hong Kong uh, won't be challenged, mm. um, won't have, won't see part of the market go elsewhere. Mm. Um, but it's interesting that people are still flying about. Uh, a lot to buy art because you know during the mm. pandemic there were all these speculations uh, that people's travel habits would change dramatically after uh, things opened up again. Yeah. We don't seem to have seen that. Okay, Enid, so uh, yeah. hopefully, yes, yes, yes. Next okay. March, oh, sure. we will see still see people come to Hong Kong for Art Basel. Good. Hold that thought because uh, we've got to take a short break uh, for a new summary and a couple of announcements. We'll be back uh, shortly. Uh, quick look at the weather. Uh, sunny periods today. Top temperature will be about. Uh, 30 degrees. Well, uh, the outlook uh, cloudier and windier with uh, one or two rain patches in the next couple of days. It's currently 28 degrees, humidity 67%. Now the news with Ben Che. There's been further condemnation of calls by U.S. lawmakers for Washington to impose sanctions on 49 Hong Kong officials and judges tasked with safeguarding national security. The police commissioner also described the moves as despicable and shameless. A public policy researcher says the government's idea of taking a more tolerant approach to illegal structures at homes in urban areas risks undermining the authority of the law and could be unfair to taxpayers. Ho Lok Sang, director of the Pan Sutong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University, says any changes must not create an incentive for illicit building. And German police say an armed father who took his four-year-old daughter hostage, forcing the suspension of flights at Hamburg Airport, gave himself up without resistance. I'll have more news at 10. The new booking system, SmartPlay, of the Leisure and Cultural Services Department will be launched on November 9th to replace LeisureLink. 
The new My Smart Play app takes just a few clicks to book leisure facilities, enroll in programs anytime, anywhere, and enjoy personalized service. You can also use it through the internet or self-service stations. Register through the My Smart Play app, website, or self-service stations. All people must register beforehand. Smart Play, Smart Way. It's just a click away. Register now. The Drainage Services Department has two separate systems that collect wastewater and rainwater. Wastewater must be properly treated before being discharged. If not, it will pollute our rivers and harbour and cause a stink. If drains in private premises are misconnected, owners should appoint building professionals or registered contractors to fix them. And remember, keep wastewater out of the rainwater system. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say. And welcome back to Chat with Mike Kraus and me, Jim Gould. And we're going to continue our, our conversation about the, the art market uh, in Hong Kong and the wider region. Uh, we have with us uh, Enid Choi, arts editor of the South China Morning Post. Willem Molesworth, uh, co-founder of the PhD Group uh, Art Gallery. And also now joining us on the line is uh, John Batten, President of the International Association of Art Critics Hong Kong. Uh, John Batten, good morning to you. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. Thanks very much uh, for joining us. Uh, so, so let's ask you what uh, we were talking to the other two guests about uh, earlier on. What, what, what's, your, uh, what's your assessment of the, the health of the art market here in Hong Kong at the moment? All right. So uh, you, you've had a good discussion in the first half hour. And the, the report we're talking about, the UBS Art Basel report, mm. um, is, is actually a very general report. And the, 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 I think the question about the health of the Hong Kong art market and the report are a little bit different. Maybe some of the takeaways I got from the report, which I, I think are sort of interesting, even though the report is ex extremely generalised. Mm. Um, here are a couple of things that I, that, I, that I got. So if you remember NFTs, if yes. anyone remembers them. Non-fungible uh, yeah, tokens. tokens. Yeah. Non-fungible -fung tokens. They are completely dead. The market peaked during um, COVID, and it's basically gone down to zero, according to the report. Mm. Um, I found uh, questions asked by the collectors. A surprising uh, result was that they had a low interest in sustainability and the environment. You know, despite um, the art market. Um, having a concentration of people flying around the world, art fairs that produce lots of um, material that's, that may or may not be recycled. Um, their concerns were more about uh, the protection of their collections, the, the financial viability of their collections, and also their access to collections. In other words, um, the freedom to, to collect and the freedom to hold and the freedom to, to do what they like. And that ties in with um, an interesting but very small section about the re responsibility of collectors. Um, and many collectors felt that once they bought a, an artwork, it was theirs forever. But of course, we know that the, the intellectual property belongs to an artist. But many collectors thought, believed that they could do whatever they liked with their, with their art piece, including re reselling. Um, in France, for example, um, if you sell a an artwork 
uh, you, you, a, a small percentage will always go back to the artist. And then there were some odd little things like um, questions about uh, future buying habits of collectors. And there was an interest supposedly, um, according to the survey, on collectors wishing to buy in France and Japan. And I found this quite odd because, of course, there was no data to support this and there were no questions about why collectors would be buying artists uh, based in France or in Japan, except maybe they wanted to expand their collection into French Impressionists or modernists, maybe. And, of course, Japan has um, a big interest, certainly in Hong Kong, of uh, manga and uh, cartoonish-type characters. Uh, but there was no data to, to actually explain that. And, of course, Art Basel itself has a, a new art fair based in Paris. Mm. <clears throat> um, I know I'm talking a lot, but let me just go through a few, few, more, few more points. I, I think, from Hong Kong's point of view, it reinforced the fact that Hong Kong was a, a very strong art hub, and it is one of the three strong art hubs in the world, uh, the other being the US and the UK. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and the report re-emphasised why, and I think this is important for Hong Kong, and I think especially for bureaucrats who, who get very enthusiastic of rich people flying into Hong Kong. But the, the reason why Hong Kong is a hard hub as is the UK and US, is that we are a wealthy, a wealthy place. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's a given. That, that is a needed um, reason for being an art hub. It needs to be wealthy. But you need to have trade-friendly regulations, and, and Hong Kong has that. It's a free port. Um, people can bring things in and take things out. And, and this is the, the, the point that that is very shaky, I think, in Hong Kong, and that is market knowledge. And market knowledge is made up of, uh, of many, many aspects, including museums, um, uh, experts in, in art and um, antiquities. And Hong Kong has that, but that's been made a little bit fragile by the national security law, and there is concern for that. Now, I've, I've, I know I've been speaking a lot, but there are a few takeaways I got from the report. One other takeaway I want to, want to give you is there is some interesting data about the numbers um, played around by these, by these rich people. And for example, um, the average purchase, um, the medium, medium uh, price of a purchase for a Hong Kong art collector is 20,000 US, mm -hmm. whereas in the mainland, it's 241,000 US. Mm. So there's implications in that, that the, the, the mainland collectors are buying uh, very, very expensive artwork, mm. whereas the Hong Kong collectors uh, are not. Mm. And the average over the world, um, according to the survey, is 64,000 US dollars, mm -hmm. which is the medium uh, purchase of art that... Um, the price of, a, of an individual item of art that, that, that collectors. So even though these are high net worth, these are numbers that are not, certainly in Hong, the Hong Kong art collector's case, not extremely high. Yeah. 
So there are a couple of um, things that I, I, I picked out out of the report. There are lots more that I could mm. talk about too. Mm. Mm. Sure. Um, I mean, that's interesting. Sorry, but, but in it, I mean, yeah. Willem, because you're closer to um, the, well, you're the closest to, to collectors. Um, what do you make of that? Because, I mean, to me, that, of course, confirms the fact that Hong Kong collectors are more open to buying new, uh, less established artists, so therefore buying artworks that are um, less expensive. Um, and also, as you mentioned, Oh, these, this is, yeah. these are old data. Um, Chinese our buyers may not be splashing on the you know, extremely expensive paintings anymore. But in general, do you think that Hong Kong collectors tend to hold back when investing in art compared to um, people on the mainland? Uh, this is a lot. This is a lot to talk about. It's all very interesting. Um, I think... Uh, you know, when we're talking about mainland and Hong Kong collectors, it can get a little bit confusing because, I mean, like uh, John, like you just said, this huge number, this medium average spend of, of mainland Chinese buyers is a huge number. It's way it's like almost twice as large as any other region spends for their kind of median spend. Um, but I do think most of it's probably being spent here in Hong Kong. I remember yeah. uh, a report, um, I think maybe a year or two ago that said, of the kind of mainland Chinese buyers, 90% of their collection is here in Hong Kong. And so it's a huge number. The, the city represents a really a disproportionate kind of um, hub for, for them to do their business in. And like you've said, Enid, it's changing. There's, there's all these other hubs opening up now. Um, but to also address what you just asked in terms of kind of risk averse or, you know, willing to take bets on newer, younger things, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the collectors, I deal with a lot of collectors from the mainland, and they're mm -hmm. some of the most adventurous and kind of well-educated collectors that we deal with. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're really very willing to think and consider new things and to take risks on young artists and to support them uh, in really meaningful ways with, with repeat purchases and investing in someone's career. Um, and in Hong Kong, uh, you do see it as well. You see it among a, a, quite a number of collectors, but I would say to a, a lesser extent. I feel like the kind of degree to which collectors in Hong Kong uh, confidently invest in work that is uh, maybe outside of the norm or, or something that's a little new mm -hmm. um, is still being developed. Um, and I think that that's just a reflection of the city's, of the city's um, uh, I guess I would say like knowledge infrastructure. Uh, which we've touched mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. the institutions here are new you know the art history canon written from hong kong's perspective is although you me and john are very well acquainted with it for the general public it's something they're still beginning to engage with and and will take time to settle into and and it's only with knowledge that you're willing to to take risks and to engage in other kind of more profound or, or risky ways so to speak right um, that's really interesting. Thanks for clarifying, because that's the opposite of um, uh, what the report um, is claiming. Oh, I think there's a lot of interesting things in the report, but you need to dig quite deep and you need to have a knowledge of the, the, the greater market. An interesting other point that came out of the report was that 43% had used credit or loans to fin finance their purchases. and. I, I found that quite incredible uh, mm. because uh, these are these are rich people 
So what is their motivation for buying on credit? Mm. And of course, we don't know because there's no data there. <laughs> but I think this is a really interesting area. Mm. Um, the, the other interesting area was I think only 3% used um, art experts, uh, art buyers to purchase art. This is, this is also area. The mm. biggest area where purchases are, are done through remains with the galleries. This is in their physical spaces. Art fairs actually have a very low uh, percentage of sales. Uh, let me just have a quick look if I can find it. Uh, I think it's... Um, but uh, while you look for it, can I just ask, yeah, I mean, in general, I think art financing, it used to be much, it used to play a much bigger role in uh, in Europe, in the States. Um, but it is growing here in Hong Kong, isn't it? Well, there are, you know, the, 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 the reason why the, uh, collectors would buy on credit is, is for tax reasons, usually. And depending on their, for example, you could buy a piece of art for the lobby of your, of your, um, for your own office, and uh, that could be seen as an expense. So, you know, we really we need to dig deeper into why. But it's interesting that high, that rich people are uh, buying on credit. Now we don't know if it's short, long term. Interestingly, some of it was unsecured. Which is also interesting. It wasn't that the art wasn't being used as collateral. So this is all very, very interesting. And actually, the report is really poor about explaining the reasons why this is happening in many, many areas. One thing that I think is very um, of relevance to Hong Kong is, in fact, I think, you know, I disagree with the comment earlier that um, Hong Kong only recently has had, has had an art market. Hong Kong has always had an art market. It has always been uh, a major uh, place for the buying and selling of antiquities. And uh, from the early, uh, from the 70s, it was a place where people uh, bought, particularly uh, the expensive Indonesian, Thai and Philippine paintings. This has always been the hub for those collectors to come in. So the report oddly includes, of course, includes countries like um, uh, US and UK. They include Brazil, which is a very, very small part of the, the world's art market. But there is no data. They did not uh, survey any collectors from Indonesia, Philippines or Thailand. Mm -hmm. And they are important collectors, certainly for the, for the auction houses in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, what you've got is this report is very generalised and I don't think it should be seen as, as concrete um, evidence of, of, of explaining Hong Kong's own art market. It would be great to do a regional uh, survey. And of course, one part of the report that is very, very lacking, although it's of course talking about collectors because you know, the sponsors are UBS and, and Art Basel, uh, who have art fairs with collectors. But it would be very meaningful to have a survey of, of artists, because then you find out the real strength of, of, a, uh, of, of an art market okay. by finding out if they're selling or not selling. Because, of course, as, as Ed 
uh, mentioned, um, the, mar- the art market is very opaque. We don't really know, except through the, the, the published prices of auction houses. Okay. Well, well. Nonetheless, thank, thank, thank you to uh, all three of you for giving us uh, your insights uh, uh, on the art market. Um, um, thanks very much to uh, John Batten, there, president of the International Association of Art Critics, Hong Kong. Ina Choi, arts editor of the South China Morning Post. Uh, um, have a good uh, trip up to Shanghai. And thanks to uh, Willem Molesworth, uh, co-founder of the PhD Group uh, Art Gallery. <laughs> 25 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hi, I'm Secretary for Housing, Winnie Ho. Happy birthday to RTHK's 95th anniversary. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. And for the last uh, part of this morning's programme, we're turning our attention to another topic, and that was uh, a charity fundraising drive uh, organised by the NGO uh, World Vision Hong Kong. Um, This took place uh, on Friday and uh, Saturday, and it involved um, a fasting exercise. Uh, uh, People taking part uh, could fast for um, eight hours or or 30 hours to uh, raise money and uh, awareness uh, uh, of um, people, especially uh, children uh, suffering from uh, malnutrition. And um, uh, mainly uh, in Africa. Anyway, to hear more, we're joined uh, on the line by Priscilla Chung, Chief Operating Officer of World Vision Hong Kong. Good morning to you. Good morning, this is Priscilla. Yes, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. So, so, so how did it go over the over the, the weekend, or rather Friday and Saturday? Okay, uh, let me uh, share about uh, what's about uh, the 30 Hours Farming. Um, 30 Hours Farming was first launched in Hong Kong in 1984 in response uh, to the farming in Ethiopia in the early 1980s. And by fasting together for 8 to 30 hours, participants can put themselves uh, in the shoes of the hungry people and raise funds for them. And during the event, participants will abstain from eating food and learn about uh, the root causes of hunger and the vicious cycle of poverty through a series of uh, experiential and educational activities. And the theme of uh, 30 hour famine this year is heated hunger. Mm. which has two meanings. Um, On the one hand, climate change uh, has brought about uh, the rising temperatures around the globe, and actually all of us can feel the heat in recent years. And on the other hand, as global temperature rise, uh, food production becomes more difficult and uncertain due to changes in weather patterns and extreme weather events, such as um, increased drought uh, frequency, uh, decreases in soil fertility, and uh, uh, crop destruction from uh, floods or storms. So uh, developing countries are bearing the brunt of global warming. We can see that uh, climate change is um, fueling hunger and multiplying the threat in places already with food crisis. So, um, therefore, this year, uh, the 30 hours famine event uh, is a low carbon version. And uh, we advocate for a low carbon lifestyle uh, in response to the global climate crisis, which is one of the 
root causes of hunger. Mm. And in line with uh, our low carbon theme, uh, the event was held at uh, North Arc in Mawan, mm-hmm. where the design of the park takes into account of ecological conservation and environmental education. Uh, we have invited Mr. Uh, Lan Chiu Ying, uh, former director of the, the Hong Kong mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Observatory, yeah, to share about uh, the injustice issue of uh, carbon emissions in rich countries causing children in poor countries to face hunger. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have also uh, the pleasure to have Professor Simon Wong, uh, Chairman of uh, Environmental Campaign Committee, as our guest of honor in the closing ceremony, followed by a finale concert. This year's event also features a number of low-carbon activities, such as a uh, hang challenge uh, in the arc, electricity generating bike challenge, as well as uh, various upcycling workshops for participants and uh, encouraging them to, to go green in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, through uh, the 30 hours farm, we hope to raise uh, the awareness on uh, the issue of heated hunger and at the same time to bless those who are facing food crisis. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, I mean, this is a very serious uh, situation, isn't it? Nearly, nearly 800 million people around the world, you're saying, um, they go to bed hungry every day. Yes, 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 that's true. And Africa currently has the, the largest increase in the number of hungry people, uh, with more than 200 million of people facing food insecurity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On average, one in five people in Africa are suffering from hunger. So, uh, therefore, the fund raised uh, for this year um, uh, will support a uh, revisions project in Africa, um, providing health care support for malnourished uh, children, uh, for supplies, uh, as well as um, water, sanitation and hygiene uh, facilities to affected com- uh, families and communities. Yeah. Priscilla, good morning. One of the aspects of malnourished children is that they develop more slowly both physically and mentally, intellectually. If you're not eating, your, your body isn't growing in, in different aspects. Yes, yes um, the impact is huge. And uh, when a child uh, suffers from hunger, um, they're not, not just um, um, not enough food to eat and, and hungry feelings uh, simply. Uh, it will affect uh, the growth. Um, both and mentally uh, and physically. And also because uh, of um, the uh, hungry, many families um, will um, to um, will, will let their child to uh, become a child labor or to have their um, children uh, get into marriage. So the, 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 to, to, to get enough food for um, the, the family. Yes. Also, if you go to school, serious, yeah. if you go to school mm. and you're hungry, it's it's harder to concentrate on the studies, on studies as well. Yes, yeah, uh, actually, they cannot concentrate uh, the study. Right, you're right. Mm-hmm. So that if you have a large number of malnourished children, the, the problem will just roll forward to another generation as well. Yes, yes. So this is a vicious cycle of poverty. You're right. Mm-hmm. And how many, how many of the people, the numbers were quoted just now, are children? Uh, sorry. Of the large number of people who go to bed hungry, 
What yeah. proportion are children? About uh, one third of them are children. Yeah. Okay. In in terms of your um, fundraising event, then, uh, um, um, I mean, did it go well? Was it a success? How many how many people did you have taking part? Uh, yes, uh, we are uh, very grateful uh, for the enormous support from uh, people uh, on the third hours from over the years, and. Mm. After uh, the COVID, uh, actually, this is the first time for us to be able to organize a physical event for 30 hours famine. Mm. And this year, uh, we have hundreds of participants uh, joining uh, mm. the event. Yeah. Mm. How how difficult is it to uh, uh, you know, have a 30-hour fast? Yeah. You know, it's it's um, 30 hours sounds but, like a long it, time. It does. It does sound like a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's um, what, what, what is that? It's a, it's a day and a, a day and a quarter. Yes. Um, actually, it's, it's not yeah, um, a good feeling for for fasting 30 hours. So um, while uh, um, the participants are fasting, uh, we have uh, arranged a series of activities, uh, which is experiential and also educational. Uh, to, to help them uh, understand the root causes of hunger and also uh, the, the vicious cycle of poverty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and then the funds raised from this uh, exercise, uh, they're going to go to uh, uh, the World Visions project uh, in Africa? Uh, yes. Yeah? And, 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 and that will be spent on what? Apart from food, what will that be spent on? Yes, and also, uh, apart from food, uh, also uh, uh, providing health care support uh, for those um, malnourished children. Um, and also, um, uh, we have uh, the uh, projects about uh, water, sanitation and hygiene facilities uh, to, to those affected families and communities. Mm-hmm. Because very often, um, people suffering from hunger also suffering from drought. So uh, those kind of water, sanitation, hygiene facilities are very important. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah, I can see that. The, t- the two things uh, go together, mm. obviously, the, the, you know, the, 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 the food and the hunger theme and the global warming and drought and, and so on. And it's all it compounds the problem mm-hmm. because it, it multiplies, in a sense, uh, a less educated child because of malnourishment, is going to be less economically productive uh, as an adult. Mm. It just builds it in for generations. Yes, yes, that's true. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for coming on and uh, and explaining about this uh, uh, very important, very uh, valuable uh, project. That was uh, Priscilla Chung, Chief Operating Officer of uh, World Vision Hong Kong. Um, Thanks to our listeners. Um, Thanks uh, very much to our guest presenter this morning, Mike Rouse. Yeah, I've found out how ignorant I am about art. Well, there's always uh, there's always lots to learn. Inform, educate, and entertain. That's what, what uh, that's what we do. And uh, hold, uh, stay, yeah, stay with us. We've got a news summary coming up at ten o'clock, uh, followed by brunch with Noreen.